So this is uh, a great privilege and a pleasure. Um, I don't deserve it. It's God in his mercy and his glory uh, gives us this. And really, if I was to say anything to you, the one thing is, is when we make ourselves available, God will use us. He does not call the equipped. He equips the called. So when he calls you, he will give you whatever it is that you need. So just be encouraged that whatever age you're at, young or old, uh, God can use you in his church. God can use you to affect people's lives and do something great. Uh, he's done something great through me, and I'm astounded. It is amazing. Because where we came from, we had no clue about building a church, running a church, doing anything. We grew up as Catholics where you went to Mass, you sat for half an hour, and you left. There was no interaction with people, there was no interaction with the leadership or anything else. So you never knew what uh, churchmanship was like, what it was about. So everything we've done, we've learned. So great. So I'm part of Newbridge uh, Church. This is, uh, we're, we're one church, two locations. But my location is Newbridge. That's where I've been. It's kind of home. Uh, but it's lovely to have this part of the family, this branch here that I can come and see. Now, normally, I won't tear myself away from Newbridge because I just love being there. And anyway, I don't believe it can run properly if I'm not there. <laughs> I know. And if it has run properly today, I'll be asking questions. But it's, it's great to be there, but it's also great to come up here and, and see you all. Because this is the DNA, the failing in this place is the same. Um, you know, it is, is great. The location is different, the room is different, but the heart of the church is the same, uh, which is wonderful. So great. So this morning, uh, we're talking on, um, yeah, we're talking about Jesus, imagine, uh, because we are a church that's unashamed in believing that Jesus is the center. He is everything. We, we preach him. We talk about him, we live it, we breathe it. Jesus is who it's all about. He is the center of our lives. Everything follows after him, flows from him. And as Christians and as a church, we are just centered on Jesus. So I'm just praying that the message today will help you to rediscover Jesus, just to recenter him in your life, that you'll have a greater understanding of who Jesus is. Because that's the title of our message today, Jesus Is. So it's quite a basic message. It's foundational. Uh, probably uh, won't be stuff that you haven't heard before. Won't be great revelations about it. But I'm hoping it'll help you put together just about who Jesus is. So we start in Matthew chapter 16. And Jesus says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man over 80 times in the New Testament. So it's a peculiar term, isn't it? The Son of Man. And peculiar, uh, even more peculiar in relating it to Jesus, who we know, uh, we know is God and man. But uh, the Son of Man is a direct reference back into the Old Testament to the Messiah or Deliverer that had been prophesied throughout the Old Testament. And make no mistake about this, the Jewish leaders at the time knew exactly what Jesus was saying. They knew that 
he was claiming to be the promised Messiah. Uh, this is the two things we learned very early on in, in our Christian walk about when reading the New Testament. One was uh, to unlearn the things that we had learned before, to read as if we were reading it for the first time, because we we pick up some baggage in whatever tradition or culture we grow up in. We pick up some stuff. And it's very important when we're studying the Bible, the, particularly the New Testament, to unlearn some of that stuff. It was for me anyway. So I unlearned that. The second thing was that um, to really look at what the people who are hearing Jesus, what they were hearing. Right? What did it mean to them? Uh, but the disciples and the crowd and all of that, what did they uh, hear when Jesus spoke? And here's one of those instances. When he claimed he called himself the son of man, um, the religious leaders knew what he was saying. They were very aware of what the prophet Daniel said. In Daniel chapter 7, he, uh, Daniel said this, In my vision at night I looked. And there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now, if that's not speaking of Jesus, what can you say? But the religious leaders at that time knew he was making this claim about himself. So this got right up their Jewish noses because they knew uh, he was saying that he was the promised Messiah. So back to Matthew 16. So Jesus is asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? What are they saying about me? He's asking, what, what, do, you, what do your friends, what do your family, the society uh, of today say about me? And in verse 14, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. So here Jesus is asking his disciples this most important question who do you say I am there's one scholar that noted that this is the greatest question of all time asked by the greatest person of all time which has to be answered by everyone from all of time who is Jesus to you so no matter how much insight or information we hear or receive about who Jesus is it will never determine who we believe him to be the true believer's answer to the question has to come from a personal encounter. And I know this is so true for me that all I had learned growing up about Jesus was blown out of the water when I had that personal encounter with him. I can tell you about him, but unless you encounter him and experience him for yourself, you never truly know who he is. So Jesus said to Simon Peter, this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. So that's the question for us today. Who is Jesus to you? Who do you say that he is? Have you encountered him? Has he been revealed to you? Are you ready to discover more and grow in your understanding of him? And this is what's really important about this question, that your view of Jesus Christ doesn't just define your life, but it also determines your eternity.
And that truth is what gives us so much hope. When we truly encounter him and place our faith in him, uh, we spend the, our lives here uh, in relationship with him. And then we know that we will, when we die, we will enter eternity in his presence. So this message today is really Biblical Theology 101, an overview of who Jesus is. Uh, it's foundational, as I said, it's very important to us. Uh, if you've ever done the Alpha course, I've done it an, oh, maybe 20 times with different groups, but I find each time that it helps me put together about who Jesus is, why did Jesus have to die, particularly those first two videos in the series. And the first video uh, about who is Jesus talks about from outside the Bible, from Jewish historian Josephus and other uh, elements about who Jesus is, but then it goes into what the Bible says about him. We're just looking at, because we're believers, we're looking at what the Bible actually says about who Jesus is. So we're looking at five aspects. And the first one is that Jesus is God. He's one part of the Trinity. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So Jesus God was present from the very beginning. I was going to say of time, but it's actually before time began uh, that Jesus was there from the beginning. John 1, 1 to 4 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John is saying here that the Word here was Jesus. He was, is, and always will be God. Verse 2, he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So Jesus, as God, revealed himself before the incarnation, before he was born here in the flesh. He was there at the very beginning of creation. As verse 3 says, all things were made through him. Colossians chapter 1, Paul says, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So there's nothing that was ever made or will be made that God, that Jesus, didn't have a hand in. Everything. What we can see it, taste it, smell it, touch it, whatever it is, uh, Jesus created it. All things created by him, and he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. You know, Jesus actually said of himself that he's God. Some people would actually make that claim. Jesus never said he was God, but he did. He actually said it specifically, and he said it in a number of other ways. But in John 10, verse 30, he said, I and the Father are one. They are one and the same. Again, thinking of the religious leaders, what did they hear from that? There, he's saying he's God, right? No question about it. John 8, very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Very, the grammar is a bit strange in that, but we know what God is saying. Jesus is confirming that he existed before his human birth, which is a good trick. I'd love to try that one. He was alive and present as God even before Abraham was born, and that was right near the beginning of creation. And he states that his title is, I am. 
This was the exact same title used by God the Father as he revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 3. He said, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Here, Jesus is saying, just as God said to Abraham and Moses, I am, I and the Father are one. So we can see that Jesus is God. We can know and confirm that he was and is and always will be God. The set, number two, Jesus is God in the flesh. So not just God, but God in the flesh. And 1 Timothy 3.16 says, Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. So Jesus is God incarnate, which means Jesus is God in the flesh. Basically, God with skin on. And this is so important because it makes God real and tangible for us. God is so unlike us. He is so totally other that our minds can't even begin to comprehend him. We have no point of reference. We have no power in our minds to even uh, comprehend what God could possibly be like. But Jesus gives us a God who we can see and comprehend. We see that Jesus is personal, intimate, someone I can have a relationship with. He has lived as we have lived. He's suffered like we suffer. He's experienced pain, hardship, thirst, hunger, uh, and he's had feelings just like we have. Now, God did not need to come as Jesus to understand what we go through. Because he made us, he knows us, he knows us better than we could possibly know ourselves. So he sent Jesus with skin on so that we could see what God is like, not the other way around. Really important. He wanted to show us who God is. Matthew uh, chapter 1 says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Jesus is God with us. He is the fulfillment of God himself and the fulfillment of all God's plans and purpose. So again, before there was a creation, before time began, God had this plan. He knew Adam and Eve would fall. He knew what was going to happen in the centuries after. He knew that he was going to send Jesus. This was his plan and his purpose all along. And Jesus, as God in flesh, expresses to us the image of God. So through Jesus, we can see God the Father. Through him, we can be in relationship with the Father. How often do we say that? You know, I have a relationship with God through Jesus. That is really how we, we would speak that out. In 1 John 5, it says, And we know that the Son of God has come, and he's given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. He's the only true God and he is eternal life. So we can know him and we can live in fellowship with him. In other words, a relationship with him because of Jesus. Number three, Jesus is Christ. So when Jesus asked in that chapter of Matthew 16, he says, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. 
Jesus is Messiah. He is the promised one. And the name Christ is the, from the original Koine Greek. Um, it's the equivalent of Messiah. So the name Jesus Christ really means Jesus the Messiah or Jesus the anointed. Because the word Messiah is translated as anointed one. That's how, the again, the Jewish people would have known uh, who the Messiah was. It's the anointed one. He was the, it was the name given to the foretold promised deliverer who would come to the people of Israel as their great saviour and redeemer. This went down through the generations of the Israelites. Uh, they knew that God was going to send a deliverer, someone who would take them out of uh, captivity, of slavery, out of uh, their normal lives and be their saviour and redeemer. And he, the anointed one, means he was going to be anointed as prophet, as priest and as king. No one else could be anointed uh, for those three offices, only God himself and God appointed Jesus as that. And the founders of the Christian church uh, who had originally grown up in the Jewish faith, they were convinced that Jesus of Nazareth was their promised Messiah, just as we believe that Jesus is Christ. From the beginning of the church, they preached that with such conviction and power Jesus is Christ. He is Lord and Savior of all mankind. And the name Jesus represents his humanity, and the name Christ represents his divinity. So he's completely God, he's completely man. There are over 400 distinct Old Testament messianic prophecies, each one unique, right, that were fulfilled through Jesus Christ removing any argument that this was an accidental coincidence. Uh, in fact, you know, one of those was that where he would be born. So even if somebody uh, was to read these prophecies and say, hey, you know what, I'm going to claim to be that, I'm going to see these prophecies and make sure all those are fulfilled in my life, you can't claim to be born in a place where you weren't born. So as the pro probability that these hundreds of specific pred predictions, each independent of the others, could all be fulfilled in one individual. It's not just highly unlikely, it's mathematically improbable. Number four, Jesus is Lord. He is the Lord of all lords and King of all kings. Luke chapter two, for there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. In the previous chapter of Luke, he says, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. So Jesus, we know, came to earth to die for our sins, to come as our sacrifice, be our savior, establish his kingdom here on earth. He is the Lord of his kingdom not only here on earth, but also in heaven, and his kingdom will never end. Amen. Amazing, isn't it? The kingdom we know is where the king is. So that's where it is. Whatever else is going on around, when the king is present, this is where his kingdom is, and we are in his kingdom, which is absolutely amazing. Although the Bible speaks to us of the humility of Jesus coming to earth to pay the price for our sin, we never forget that he is king and lord of all. Really important. It's so easy for, well, we're supposed to know Jesus as friend, 
uh, as brother, as someone approachable, someone we can go to, tell our troubles to, all of that, right? And that's a fact. We're supposed to do that. We also have to keep the balance because he is Lord. He is king. So uh, we have that familiarity and, and that fear or respect uh, have to go hand in hand. Balancing that is not easy for us. So he is Lord and King of his kingdom, the one that we are part of. That our, the local church, Open Arms, is part of his kingdom. We are not the kingdom, right? We are a part of the kingdom, uh, and each individual, our jobs as, as Christians is to tell people this good news so that they will get an opportunity to come into the kingdom of God as well. The book of Hebrews tells us that God laid aside his majesty. And this picture and imagery as Jesus came with his crown as the king of all kings, right? But he chose to lay it aside. Nobody took it from him. Nobody made him uh, leave it down. He took it and laid aside his crown. He laid aside his majesty. And he came to earth in human form as a baby of all things. He, we know that he cried and he laughed and he hungered and he experienced pain. Uh, all of that while he was Lord of all. So we must never forget that he is king and he is Lord. It says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. That's something to really remember. For us, we know we do this willingly. We can do this now. We bow our knee, we confess that Jesus is Lord. Uh, but there is a time will come when everybody will have to do that. Whether they believe him, whether they agree or not, when they encounter him, that they will bow the knee and confess that he is Lord. Every knee at the time that that phrase was coined, all right, the Romans ruled Israel and uh, all, uh, most of the known world. And the phrase that was used at the time was, Caesar is Lord. Shout it out in ceremonial occasions, shout it out when uh, uh, different uh, times, but, and people were supposed to uh, call it out. But it's, this, it's like, we were, you know, imagine us crying out, culture is Lord. Social media is Lord. What I want is Lord. But declaring that Jesus is Lord cuts through all of that. It takes down that ruling establishment of whether it's culture, society, social media, uh, personal desires, and replaces them with Jesus is Lord. This is our struggle, isn't it? We are selfish, self-centered beings, want our own way. But by reminding ourselves constantly that Jesus is Lord, that he knows best, uh, he has a better plan. I can submit myself to him and know that uh, I will flourish that way rather than by doing it my own way. We, we know that our, our church, our homes, our lives are led by Jesus Christ, who is Lord. And our aim is not to fit into the culture of our day, right? It's to be part of the kingdom culture. This is so important because we, we are surrounded. This culture, we are immersed in, in culture uh, of our times. And in, if, if we don't fight against it, if we don't have something that helps us fight against it, we will just be swall swallowed up at it. Uh, but Jesus came to establish a different culture that's based on the word of God. That's the one that we want to be part of. So Jesus is God. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is Christ. Jesus is Lord. 
And finally, what is most important for our walk with God and our relationship with him is that, number five, Jesus is saviour. So the whole purpose of Jesus coming to earth, laying aside his majesty, becoming a human being, was to save us, redeem us, which it means to buy us back. Okay, so we are obviously in slavery to something else, somebody else, uh, which we know. And so his purpose was to save us, redeem us, and to become saviour of all humankind now and forevermore. And the reason that Jesus had to come was because God is not only a God of love. Don't you love when, when people outside the church say, uh, oh, but God is love, so God will allow me to do whatever it is I want to do. Mm, hold on a sec. God is also a God of justice. Uh, and he does not allow um, sin. And in fact, he has a price to be paid for sin. And that price is death. So without Jesus, we'd be condemned by God to die for our sin because the wages of sin is death. So without Jesus, there'd be no hope for life and no hope for humanity. Ephesians 2 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So we were living like the walking dead dead in our transgressions and our sins. But didn't leave it there. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Jesus is our saviour. Amazing thing is that when we were uh, enemies of God, when we had our backs turned to, he came and died for us. He came to redeem us from our sins. Matthew uh, chapter 1. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And the one we all know, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And this is the key to that. Whoever believes in him. Not believes that he exists as it says in the Bible that even the demons of hell believe and shudder, but no, but put their faith in, in Jesus. So Jesus as our saviour came from heaven to earth to be our sacrifice, to take our place. Even though we were dead in our sin, he came to be saviour of all. And through placing our faith in him, we receive forgiveness. That's all it takes. Mark uh, chapter 2, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Luke 7, then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Again, we know the religious leaders uh, were appalled at this because only God could forgive sins. And this, the whole reason that they crucified him was because he made himself equal with God. Jesus is our savior who forgives the sins of the world. And when we say this, the world, what we're talking about, my sins, your sins, all right? And the question really we should ask is why would Jesus do this? Why does he choose that by his grace, through his mercy, because of our faith, he forgives our sins? The answer is given in John 10. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. This is what Jesus is all about. 
given his life for those he loves. Nothing in us, there's nothing in us that would cause God to do this for us. He did it because of his love for us. It is humbling to think like that. It's also very freeing. I, there's nothing in me good enough to reach up to God. But God came down, reached down for me, and took me out of the quicksand. So he took the penalty of our sin on himself. He suffered so that we might live. And still, we know today there are still people who won't accept him, who refuse to believe and accept that Jesus came uh, as their saviour. A day is coming when they will neither have choice nor time. This is really harsh because, but we know it, that people have got to, their only way to God is through Jesus. So unless people make that choice in the time that they have on earth, um, it, it, there's no hope for them. Because scripture tells us that Jesus will return as judge. Acts 10.42 says, And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. 2 Timothy 4, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. This is amazing, isn't it? That, but there's two different judgments in this. So for non-believers, they'll be judged, right? And they'll be judged on their, uh, what, that they have not accepted the free gift of salvation. For us, we will not be judged on that because we have accepted that. We'll just be judged on what we've done with what God has given us. And that's a different type of judgment altogether. It's not a judgment of heaven and hell. It's a judgment of reward. Uh, really important. So the key of this is that Jesus is the judge. We are not. He has not called us uh, to be judge, jury, and executioner. In fact, Paul says it once, who are we to judge the world? It's not our, our place. God has not asked us to do that. He's called us to be the church and to point to Jesus and allow him to judge. So here, this is what's also crucial to grasp. No one will be judged for their sin. He paid for that. He has saved us from our sin. He judges us for refusing to accept his offer of salvation. He has saved us from sin. He judges us for not accepting this free gift. In the moment that he died, the man, Jesus Christ, he was crucified on the cross, paid the price for our sin. Now, all we have to do is place our faith in him. We often say it's a free gift. It was not free to Jesus. It cost him his life. It cost him that time when he was separated from his father, which must be the most horrendous pain. I can't even begin to imagine it. But that, so that cost him that. It's free to us. People don't go to hell because of their sin, because the sin has been paid. He took the penalty. Price has been paid. To go to hell for refusing to accept Jesus Christ. So the question we're back to is, who is Jesus to you? Who do you say that he is? Because there are many with a very convoluted picture of who Jesus is. And the reason for that is mainly down to the church. Is, uh, Christians historically have given a very distorted picture of who Jesus is, with particularly being so judgmental rather than loving. And we've communicated more about what we need to do to be saved rather than what Jesus is saving us from. 
So if we could just shift our, our communication on this point uh, and use the language so that Jesus is our savior, he loves you, he's for you, and paint a picture of who Jesus is based on the revelation that we've been given. And generally that is our own testimony. What has Jesus saved me from? Where did he take me from? What was I like? What would I be like now if he'd never come into my life? And see, what has, what has he done with us? If we know that, if we talked like that with people, people would flock to Jesus. Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. So we deserve to die for the sin we've committed. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's his free gift when we deserved death. So we talk about mercy, we talk about grace. Mercy is when we don't get what we deserve. Grace is when we get what we don't deserve. So we didn't, uh, we deserved death, we didn't get it. We didn't deserve a uh, gift of God, we got that. And that's, the good news is in 1 John 4. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So rather than allowing us to suffer in our sin and live a hopeless life that ends with eternal death, he chose to take our place, to be sacrificed on our behalf so that anyone who believes him, as John 3.16 says, whoever believes in him uh, shall not perish but have eternal life. So that's the good news of Christ. So what's our part in this? Romans 10, 9 says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's no formula in the Bible. Isn't it amazing? You're, this has to be a heart response of ours. It does not, there's no form of words that we use. And we try our best. We put a prayer on it, which I will do at the end, of, of leading us into uh, that place where we submit to God, where we accept his, his, the free gift that Jesus has given us of salvation. But uh, there is no formula. It says, if we declare with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So there's a heart response in this. So we're just going to um, close off now. I'm just going to give people an opportunity here for anyone that hasn't uh, already taken Jesus to be their solution for their lives, for their eternity. Uh, so I'd ask you that, would you uh, bow your heads and close your eyes just to give that place of privacy. And the worship team is going to make their way back. So those here, um, if, if you are someone who hasn't accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, who hasn't uh, been given the forgiveness that your sins require, I'm going to ask you to put your hand up in a minute. So I'm going to count to three, and after the count of three, if that's you today, and you say, I want Jesus to be my solution, to be my Savior, uh, just slip up your hand. And the reason I'm asking you to put up your hand is because it's a sign to God that you're serious. But also, it's so that I can see you and pray for you. No, won't be anything embarrassing or calling you out or anything of that sort. So would you, I'd ask you at this stage to think it through. Don't leave today without believing in Jesus and knowing that you can spend eternity with him and have him here in your relationship throughout your life. So that, if that's you today, would you put your hand up after one, two, three? 
Amen. Thank you. So let's pray this prayer. So repeat after me. Jesus, today I give you everything. I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. And today I choose to follow you. I am forgiven. I'm set free. By your grace I am saved. In Jesus' name, amen.